on this holy word. Let's pray. Almighty God, we love You and we love Your Word. I pray that You would speak uh, through Your Word this morning and uh, help us to um, draw near to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. I ask this in His name. Amen. Alright, this morning I'm going to turn the sermon upside down. I'm going to give the practical applications first. So, the first practical application uh, for the sermon is if you will be obedient to this passage, you must expand your indebtedness. In other words, you must go deeper into debt. That's the first point. The second point is if you will be obedient to this passage, you must check your watches or your cell phones or your Fitbits or whatever it is that you keep time. Um, and then thirdly, if you will be obedient to, to this passage, you must change your clothes. And that might seem a bit awkward since there are no changing rooms here. But don't worry. Each of the points are metaphors for our obedience. So let's dig in to verses 8 through 14 to see what these metaphors are really telling us to do. So we'll we'll, uh, begin with verses 8 through 10. And the first thing we'll see, however, is that Paul is not speaking metaphorically in the first phrase of our passage. Paul says, Oh, no one anything. In other words, he's saying, pay your debts. This is flowing out of uh, the previous passage where he says, pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And so he says, owe no one anything. Pay your debts. American households, owe an average of $5,700 in credit card debt alone. That totals $747 billion in credit card debt that Americans own. And this is up 11% over the last uh, 10 years. And this is um, compounded when you realize that only 38% of American households carry credit card debt. You take those who carry credit cards away and the average debt for those who actually hold credit cards, uh, credit card debt is over $15,000. Those who carry this debt load will pay an extra $1,200 in interest fees over this year. And as we consider all debt, only 20% of Americans are free from any form of debt. The most common variety of debt is mortgage debt. 44% of Americans own or have a mortgage, followed by unpaid credit card balances. 39% of Americans or 38% of Americans have unpaid credit card balances. 
37% of Americans have car loans and 21% of Americans have student loans. Now, I'm not saying that it is evil in every case to take out a loan. not saying that at all. But the situation we find ourselves in as Americans in the way that we can conduct our household debt is clearly out of line with the biblical norm. And again, I'm not saying all debt is wrong, but uh, we certainly should uh, see um, and continually ask ourselves, are we living beyond our means? If you're in over your head, I do want to tell you that there are people in our congregation that would be able to sit down with you and go over your budget or teach you how to develop a budget if you've never done that and then help you to be move uh, help you to be accountable to move forward in getting out of debt. But that's a minor point in our passage this morning. Paul's point, however, is to say that we are to go deeper into debt when it comes to loving our neighbor. We are always to be indebted to our neighbor to continually give them love. So look uh, with me at verses 8-10. through Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. You always owe love. A Christian is always a love debtor. Every time we meet someone, we ought to say to ourselves, I need to show him or her the love of Christ. I have a wonderful and great debt to pay to that person because Christ has loved me and has paid it all for me. You know, when Paul wrote these words, he was writing to a world that was defined not by love, but by division. Uh, Each group of people stood against uh, one another. They were separated by race. They were separated by class. They were separated by gender. And we could go on and on and on. The the world to which Paul wrote uh, the book of Romans uh, was greatly divided, was uh, far from being a loving world. But it was into this world that God commanded His people to love one another. And not simply called to love each other in the congregation. God's people are called to love all people throughout the world. To love even their enemies. It was not a call to simply smile at other people, hold the door open for them. It was a call to love others as Christ loved them. It was a sacrificial love that God is calling His people to. It's the kind of love that reaches out 
even to those who would wish to do us harm. Remember in chapter 12, verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Or verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Or verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so Paul here picks up this theme again. And he says, owe nothing to anyone except the ongoing debt to love one another. And this one another here, just to make it clear, is not simply talking about love for people uh, only in the church. He's talking about how we are to love our neighbor. How we are to love uh, all human beings who have been created in the image of God. Notice the basis for the love here in this passage. We are to love our enemies because God has commanded us to do that. Look again at verse 8. Uh, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. In other words, He's commanded us. Love is not primarily an emotion or a feeling. You know, not too many people uh, feel like loving their enemy. In fact, we even struggle oftentimes uh, to step outside our own selfishness and act in love towards those that we actually do love. Love is not primarily an emotion or a feeling. Love is an action. Love is a verb, uh, preachers like to say. Uh, Love is a command that God expects us to obey regardless of our feelings toward the other person or regardless of their feelings toward us. Notice the central role that love plays in the life of a Christian here in verses 8 through 10. If you love another person, you are fulfilling the law. Love is the character trait around which all the other character traits in your life revolve around. If you're living a loving life, then you are Paul saying, James says, Jesus says, you're obeying the whole of the law. Verse 9. In verse 9, Paul quotes several of the Ten Commandments and says that they are all summed up with the command to love your neighbor as yourself. And this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself is not a new command initiated by the Lord Jesus. This is a command that Paul is quoting from the Old Testament, specifically Leviticus 19, verse 18, that says we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. But this is such a far-reaching command that it can be discouraging. Well, how am I supposed to love everybody? Well, if it helps you to see it in steps, then start with verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. If you start right there, making sure that you do no wrong to your neighbor as the the way you begin to love others. That's a good starting point.
You know, I was turning through um, the radio stations while I was driving around in my car this week, and apparently some uh, person somewhere was in a road rage incident with a person, and as the road rage incident was unfolding, somebody had their cell phone out recording it. I didn't see the the recording, but I heard on the radio uh, that this person screaming at this other driver, and they were screaming so loudly and so uh, so angrily, I should say, um, that uh, and you couldn't hardly make out what the person was saying. But then, right in the middle, you could certainly make out where this person said, "I hope your kids get cancer." <laughs> And, um, you know, compare that attitude with what Paul is saying that the world is supposed to be like and what Christians, how Christians are to act toward, toward people created in God's image. We are to love them. You know, our country is deeply divided politically, geographically, religiously, and we could go down a whole list of ways that, that we are divided as a country. And I think a lot of this stems from this me-first attitude that seems to allow for people to speak hatefully to one another. Just think, if the church here in America really prioritized this command to love as God calls us to prioritize it. Just think how irresistible Christianity would be in everyday uneventful life if Christians truly love their neighbors. And I can think of several ways that you and our congregation do uh, seek to love your neighbors. It's very encouraging. You know, uh, Jim and Ann have the baskets of love that uh, that we collect here in our congregation, and and uh, our youth take up to College Hill, the, one of the poor sections of Tampa, and hand those out. What an expression of love! Uh, someone else in our congregation, I won't mention who it is uh, because I didn't. Uh, tell them that I was thinking about saying this and I don't want to embarrass them, but I was helping someone in our congregation move some things out of their car and I saw these little brown bags and I thought, maybe I should help. Uh, maybe these need to come in as well. So I asked and they said, no, that's um, those are little uh, bags that they had uh, made up to to give to the poor around the community you know, and, and had made these little gift bags with a whole little string of them. And... Uh, I thought, you know, what an expression of love. And of course, there was, you know, the gospel included there in these little bags. And um, it just encouraged me. We have several of you who volunteer each week in Meals on Wheels. Um, and I know that uh, those of you who volunteer, you love it because you love the fellowship. But it's also an expression of love to our community, to people that you've not met and... Uh, you know, just what a way to obey this command. What a way to glorify our God who loves us so much and to show the world the love with which God has loved us. I know that there are a thousand acts of love carried forward by many of you in so many ways. 
And I praise the Lord for it. And God is calling us to keep paying this debt of love because love is fulfilling the law. How encouraging is that? The next point is if you will be obedient to this passage, you must check your watches. I hope you're not checking your watches this morning. (laughs) You know, there used to be... I've heard this story. Some of you who've been around here a while may be able to confirm this or deny this. But uh, I've heard the story that there was a gentleman in our congregation. I've even had a name attached to this person who at at noon, the strike of noon, uh, would stand up, even if the preacher was still preaching, look at his watch, and then sit back down. I'm glad that that no one does that, because you have probably looked at your watch about four or five minutes ago. But um, that's not what Paul is saying when we say that we need to check our watches to see if the pastor's going over or not. What he's saying is we need to understand the time in which we live. Uh, We're living in this world as citizens of the United States of America, but we are also living in God's kingdom under His rule. And Paul's telling these Christians here in Romans 13 that they are not to live as the rest of the world does. They need to understand the times. They need to understand that this world that we live in is... Uh, is in darkness. And that this world is a relatively brief period of time in comparison with eternity. Those who live as, uh, those who live as if Christ has not come or ever will come, Paul is saying here in verses 11 through 13 that they are living in darkness to live without the recognition of the reality of Christ is to live as if it is still nighttime. That's why he says that they are still asleep. Are any of you here living as if Christ has never come or will ever come? God says you're asleep to the true reality. You're asleep to the truth that God is the Lord and that He has sent His Son into this world to redeem sinful mankind. Because Christ has risen from the dead, the daytime is at hand. Look at verse 12. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So verse 11, he's saying you need to know the time because the hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. You know, Paul was writing this to the Christians in Rome with some urgency. He wrote his letter to the Roman Christians around 57 or 58 A.D., somewhere in that... that, that time period. And Nero's persecution of the Christians began in 64 A.D. And Paul had some inkling that something terrible was going to happen. We don't know that if he, he knew the specific details, but he knew that terrible times were coming. Jesus had warned the church 
Apparently, Jesus had warned Paul because he writes in several of his letters, especially 1 Thessalonians, warning the Thessalonians that this uh, time of suffering is, is at hand. And so, Paul knew that these Roman Christians were going to suffer tremendously. You know, within six or seven years of them receiving this letter from Paul, Nero was going to begin persecuting them. Many of these Christians who read this letter from Paul were going to suffer greatly for, for their faith or maybe even be martyred for their testimony to Jesus Christ. And so he wants them to be alive to the fact that Jesus Christ is King and that they were to walk in His light. That's why he uses this metaphor in verse 12 of the armor of light because He knows that they are going to be in a battle. This um, presents some very important applications for us. We don't know what uh, we will be going through in the next period of years, whether there will be any kind of suffering for us here in America during our lifetime or even during our children's children's lifetime. We do know that there are Christians around the world that are suffering and dying for their faith in Jesus Christ. But even if we don't have an idea as to whether we will suffer here or not, it is true that every day we live here on this earth is a day closer to seeing Jesus Christ face to face. The day is here. The night is far gone. The life we live here on earth compared to eternity is very brief. And if Christ does not return physically to gather us to Himself during our lifetime, He will gather us individually through death to bring us into His presence. And each body ache, each pain, each gray hair, it's got many reminders, Each new wrinkle, each funeral is a reminder that our lives are passing away here in this world. That the full consummation of our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So let me ask you, in light of the small breath of time that you're spending here on earth, how are you spending your life? How are you going to spend your upcoming week in light of this teaching? How are you going to spend your afternoon? The time is short. Live for Christ. Make your life count for His kingdom. Look at verse 13. Paul says, Let us walk properly as in the daytime not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Don't waste your life with those sorts of things. And it's not just a waste of your time and your life. Those kinds of things are also displeasing to the Lord Jesus Christ who loved you and gave Himself for you. And then the third point, and it will be brief. If you will be obedient to this passage... You must change your clothes. How do you walk in the light? Paul's telling us here in verses 11 through 13 to walk in the light. 
Is it a matter of simply changing your priorities? Is it simply a matter of stopping some practices and starting others? Is it simply a matter of embracing a different or a new lifestyle? No. If you are going to walk in the light, what Paul is telling us, what God is telling us, is that we need to embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior. In other words, put Him on as our clothing. Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The idea of putting on clothes. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the, for the flesh to gratify its desires. Jesus Christ is the source of our growth and grace. Jesus Christ is the true light who empowers us to walk in His light. And as we embrace Jesus Christ by faith, then His graces will be reproduced in us. As we embrace Jesus Christ by faith, His His graces are reproduced in us almost like in Paul's metaphor, we put on clothing that mirrors Christ, um, Christ's graces. And, in, and what he's saying here is embrace Jesus Christ as if you were putting Him on as your clothing. He is our Savior. He is our light. He is our Redeemer. So embracing by faith, that's what Paul means when he says, uh, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, today is January 15th. Enough time has passed since uh, New Year's Day that many of you are likely to be discouraged because you have already broken and given up on your New Year's resolutions. And you're saying, how can I change my bad habits? How can I change this sinful practice that I uh, have struggled with over the past year or past decades. Jesus says, put Him on and He will help you not to gratify the desires of your flesh. I can say a lot more about that. That's a sermon for another day. Let's pray together. Father, help us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ knowing that our days here on earth are relatively short and we have a debt that You have called us to pay off. This uh, bottomless debt of love that we owe to uh, other human beings who have been created uh, in the image of God. Father, help us to expend this debt of love by giving to others this greatest of love, the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, help us to repent of the ways that we show self-love rather than love for others as we look to our Lord Jesus Christ and embrace Him by faith. We ask in His name.